Father, we give you all the praise and glory for the inner transformation that we all need and that only you can give. Thank you so much. We ask this morning as we pause to open your word together that you would speak to us very clearly, that we would have no question what it is that you are saying to us, that by your Holy Spirit we would see exactly how it applies to our lives, what you want us to hear and what you are calling us to do. So walk with us through your word this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. You can have a seat. You may have heard about this last year on the news, but a Russian woman sued McDonald's over a cheeseburger ad. Her name was Ksenia Ovchinakova. I practiced that and I still got it wrong. Ovchinakova. And she was Russian Orthodox and she had given up meat for Lent. But one day she was in her apartment and a McDonald's cheeseburger ad came on TV. And she left her apartment, went to the closest McDonald's, and bought a cheeseburger and broke her fast. And she asked the court to find for her in violation of a consumer protection law that exists in the country of Russia, and she asked for compensation for moral damage to her soul. This is true. And she also asked for financial damages in the amount of, are you ready, 1,000 rubles, which is about 14 bucks U.S. <laughs> Before you ask, I do not have a paper grocery bag full of cheeseburgers to throw out <laughs> at you this morning. A few years ago, a couple of social psychologists wrote a book on marriage, and they titled it, Mistakes Were Made, But Not By Me. If you Google the blame game, you'll find a song, you'll find a book, you'll find a British TV show, you'll find a board game. Blaming others for our mistakes has been the topic of psychological articles, essays, and books for decades. We blame as a defense mechanism. We blame to attack others. We blame because it's easier than accepting responsibility ourselves. We blame because we can't figure out why we do the things that we do. And if it seems like we've been playing the blame game for a while, it's because we have. If you know anything about the Bible and how it begins you know that it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when God created Adam and Eve and he put them in this perfect place and yet they still sinned. And if you read Genesis chapter 3, you'll read there that God came to the garden after they sinned and he looked for Adam and Eve and he found Adam and he said, Adam, what have you done? Do you know what Adam said in reply? He said, well, God, <laughs> that woman you gave me is messed up. <laughs> oh, 
we do not like to take responsibility for our sin. And it's kind of universal. Have we not all at some point in our lives said, there has to be some reason that I do the things that I do? Even the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7, if you've ever read the last half of Romans chapter, Romans chapter 7, it's, it's kind of like a tongue twister. And the Apostle Paul himself, the guy who wrote half the New Testament and planted dozens of churches and led thousands of people to Christ, said, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, those are the things that I do. A lot of you have taken my Theology 202 class, and if you have, we do one week on sin and the origins of sin. And I always ask this question, are we sinners because we sin, or do we sin because we're sinners? Chew on that one for a while. There is a persistent notion in this world that humans are basically good. Nod your head if you've heard someone say that. Humans are basically good. Despite ponderous evidence to the contrary, Humans are basically good. Evil is not inherent in people, and blame is placed on external factors like your environment or your upbringing. And consequently, we turn everyone into victims, and we blame other people for our sin. But we're going to see this morning that Jesus actually taught something very, very different than that. He taught that sin comes from within our hearts. And we are going to see this morning that mankind needs inner transformation, not outward conformity. So if you have your Bibles, join me in Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, we're going to jump in here as we make our way through Mark. Mark chapter 7, now at the beginning of the chapter, and we don't have time to read the whole thing this morning, so I'm just going to tell you that at the beginning of the chapter, the Pharisees confront Jesus about the behavior of his disciples. You see, there was a problem, and the Pharisees noticed it. The disciples were getting ready to eat, and they didn't go through the cleansing ceremonies that the Pharisees thought they ought to. Now, see, the Pharisees, if you don't know this already, Pharisees were like the ruling class of the Jewish religious elite. And they had devised all kinds of ceremonies and rituals and cleansings in the belief that if they cleaned themselves up on the outside, that that would make them pure. If they did all the right things, like going to the synagogue and reading the law and these cleansings, then they believed that God would consider them righteous. Now, you might say, well, 
what's wrong with that? Mark chapter 7 and verse 9, this is Jesus' response to the Pharisees confronting him about his disciples' behavior. Verse 9, and Jesus said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. I love that verse. Oh, you guys do a very, very good job of making all kinds of rules that you want people to follow, but here's the problem. This is why it's wrong, Jesus was saying. Because they were devaluing the Word of God. You see, God had given them the law already. They knew what God wanted them to do. And yet they kept adding They kept making things up and adding to what God said. And there was so much of it that they had added that they were ignoring the actual word of God. It also led to a superficial spirituality. Because they could ignore the word of God and do all these kinds of things that were very visible and very noticeable by everyone else. And people would think, oh my goodness, look how godly he is. Look how holy he is. I mean, he wouldn't even dream of picking up a slice of bread and starting to put the butter on it without going through the Pharisaic ritual. Wow, he must really be holy. That's that's what was happening. And there was an arrogance about it, too. Look at me and look at all that I'm doing. And again, we could say, well, well, doesn't God want us to do good things? Weren't those good things? Listen to what Jesus says in verse 14 of Mark 7. Verse 14, it says that he called the people to him again and said to, him, said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand... There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. The problem is this. Sin originates in the heart, and washing your hands is not going to make you clean. You see, our sin is an internal spiritual problem. Put your hand right here on yourself, not on somebody else. (laughs) Right under your hand is where sin lives. It's right here. It's inside. It's an internal problem. Hand sanitizer is not going to take care of that. Verse 17. And when Jesus entered, had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. So picture this. Jesus was with his disciples. The Pharisees came. They confronted him about his disciples' behavior. Jesus responds to them. And then when he is done speaking to them, he goes into the house. Apparently, they were there somewhere near where either they were going to go in and have a meal or perhaps they were going to go in and spend the night. And so he was done. 
talking. And so Jesus goes into the house and picture, if you will, the disciples maybe standing there and, and listening to Jesus. And all of a sudden, Jesus just goes, and he walks into the house. So the disciples are probably standing there and they're saying, hey, thank you everyone for coming. We're all done for tonight. Uh, the master will be maybe teaching some more tomorrow, but we appreciate you being here. Thanks for coming. We'll see you later. Everybody leaves and they immediately turn to Jesus and say, what in the world are you talking about? What are you saying? Now, if we look over to Matthew 15... Because Matthew records this incident too. Remember, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, contain many of the same events from Jesus' life. And when Matthew records this in chapter 15, he says that the disciples actually said this, Don't you know that the Pharisees were offended? When you kind of, you know chastise them for their cleansings. and the Don't you know they were offended? You know what Jesus said? This is again from Matthew 15. He said, yep. I know they were offended. They are leading people straight to hell. That's what he said. He said they're like blind people leading other blind people and eventually they will fall into the pit. The Pharisees, with all of their superficial spirituality, are leading people to hell. And yes, I do know that I offended them. Nod your head if you know that when we follow the Word of God very closely, sometimes what it says is offensive to people. We talk about some hard things here. And in our small groups, we talk about sin. We talk about how the Word of God teaches against things like homosexuality and abortion and sexual immorality of any kind. We talk about surrender to Jesus Christ. We talk about the fact that Jesus is the only way to God. No, in fact, you cannot find many ways to God. Actually, there is only one way, and that is Jesus Christ. And sometimes people say, well, well when you say those things, it upsets people and they're going to leave. And to that we must respond, yes, perhaps. But right now they are on a road to hell. Because without Jesus Christ, people go to hell. Did you know that? That's what the scripture teaches. If people don't hear the truth... How will they know? The truth is offensive to our sin. The truth is offensive to our heart problem. Now, if we go back to Matthew 15, we'll see there again 
Matthew adds a little bit of detail that Mark doesn't, and he says that it's in fact Peter who then says, please explain this parable to us. Mark chapter 7, verse 18 says this, and he said to them, that is Jesus said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. There's a few things we have to unpack in these couple of verses. First of all, Jesus gives the disciples a little cuff upside the head. You guys don't get it either? Literally without understanding means lacking intelligence. (laughs) If there's any kids in here, close your ears because I think this is a bad word now, but can we not say stupid anymore? I've heard a lot of parents chastising their children for using the word stupid. I don't know. In the 70s, stupid was okay. I mean, we called each other stupid all the time. But anyway, so if it's not, you know, forgive me, parents, for all you have to undo when you get home today. But that's really what Jesus was saying to his disciples. What are you guys, stupid? How do you not understand this? See, it's hard for us to get this part because Mark has a very different flow. Remember what we said at the beginning? Mark is like this. He is moving. You don't know this because this is only week number five in Mark, and we're in Mark chapter seven, but Jesus has already been around for almost two years at this point. (laughs) We've covered a lot of ground in five or six chapters It is less than a year from this point that Jesus is going to go to the cross. So this is not the disciples' first day, okay? They've been listening to Jesus teach. They've been seeing him do all of these miracles. I mean, do you ever just like scratch your head and wonder what people are thinking? That's what Jesus was doing. Really, guys? Really? Can't you figure this out? They were still struggling with basic truths like the need for inner righteousness. And Jesus said you have to make sure that you don't confuse the physical with spiritual. And so if you were paying attention when I read verses 18 and 19, you would see that Jesus sharpens the analogy a bit. The first time he said it, what did he say? It's not the things that go into you that defile you. It's the things that come out of you. Okay? Pretty generic. But here he gets a little bit more specific. And he draws their attention to what we might colloquially call the outhouse. 
The interlinear, the literal translation word by word of this verse says, into the belly and then into the sewer goes all the putrefying food. I don't want to be graphic here this morning, so I will just ask you a question. Which one stinks? The food going in or the waste going out? If you are still struggling to grasp what we're talking about, would you rather stand in the kitchen with your grandma while she cooks Thanksgiving dinner or would you rather hang out in the bathroom an hour later after your 300-pound uncle has spent 20 minutes in there? This is what Jesus is saying. Now, of course, it's an analogy. The issue is not culinary choices. It's not hand-washing. The issue is the inner reality of our hearts. Verse 20. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. Can I make it any clearer? It's what comes out of a person that makes them unclean. Spiritual defilement and sinfulness does not originate from the outside. It does not come from temptation. It does not come from the bad influences in our lives. It originates from the evil that resides in the heart of every single human being on the planet. To further make his point, Jesus continues in verse 21. For from within... Notice this phrasing, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. Just quickly, evil thoughts means self-centered or sinful reasoning. The word for sexual immorality is the word that the Scripture uses for all kinds of sexual sin. Coveting is an unrelenting desire for more. Wickedness is evil in particular which causes pain for other people. Sensuality literally means sinful conduct without restraint. Have you ever watched the news or seen something online and thought, oh my goodness, how horrible, what an evil, terrible crime. What could ever have possibly happened to someone to cause them to do such a horrible thing? Jesus is saying, well, actually that originates right here. Pride is self-destructive vanity and arrogance. Foolishness is literally a lack of sense or a lack of proper perspective. What a mess. What a horrible list. But that's the heart of every person without Christ. And it is our hearts, 
even as Christ followers, when we do not walk with the Lord daily. Verse 23. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. One more time, just to make sure they didn't miss the point. No ceremonial, ritualistic act can change the heart. You need inner transformation. Outward conformity to a set of rules will not change you. Now, we may not think about our spirituality in terms of washing our hands or going through some elaborate ritual before we eat. But we do often think about it in external terms, don't we? Surely God must be pleased with me. I've been to church three times this month. I've picked up my Bible and read it almost every day for the past couple of weeks. I pray a couple of times a day. I can't remember the last time I swore or got angry. Willpower and following lists of do's and don'ts can't do it. That doesn't cleanse us. There's nothing we can do. No amount of obedience will make you acceptable to God. Because it's not your outside that's causing the problem. It's your inside. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? When we come to the moment we come face to face with our own sin, are there not sometimes when we look at the reality of our hearts, we finally are willing to, to wake up and take an honest, hard look, and maybe we have said to ourselves, Nobody knows how bad it really is in here. That's what Jeremiah is saying. Remember my Theology 202 question? Are we sinners because we sin, or do we sin because we're sinners? I know you've been on pins and needles about it for the last 20 minutes. We sin because we're sinners. We're sinners, and we sin because our hearts are full of it. Matt Chandler said it this way, we haven't made ourselves sinners. Sin is what is already inside of us. William Golding said, what man does defiles him, not what is done to him by other people. And Paul says in Romans 7, 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. How many of us have ever felt that way? 
I have the desire to do what's right, but apparently I do not have the ability. Yeah, that's honest. That's true. Only God can change your heart. You have to be made new from the inside out. Because you sin from the inside out. You must be saved. You must be given new life. You must be given a new heart that's available to you by the grace of God in Jesus Christ. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if your heart has not been changed, then today is the day. No amount of towing the line or exertions of willpower will accomplish it. Salvation is necessary. And if you have been saved, then continuing in the process of sanctification is necessary. We define sanctification this way. It is your progression in holiness. Because your sinful nature remains, it's still in there. That's why the Apostle Paul was frustrated. It wasn't that he was not a believer in Jesus Christ. He was but he recognized that there was still sin there. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, Paul said it this way, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Only Christ can change you from the inside out. And by the way, that's what we celebrate when we celebrate communion together. That Jesus Christ has offered us that transformation. The question we ask ourselves is, have we received it? Have we trusted Christ? And if so, is he continuing that work of sanctification in us? Are we progressing in our holiness? I'm going to ask one of our elders, Tim Yates, if he would come up and lead us in worship and celebration of communion this morning. Good morning. Anybody have a busy week like I did? I'll tell you, I just feel like life is so busy. Remember when COVID happened and they told us all to just everybody stay in your house for a month. Don't do anything you don't have to do. Uh, Don't go out. Don't do this or that. Kind of stopped life and slowed everybody down. Now I feel like, what are we, three years later? It's like we're in like fast forward. Remember when you could like fast forward your your tape, cassette tapes? I know some of you weren't even born when those were around, but I was. And you could fast forward and play like the chipmunks. Like, you know, I feel like that's how life is right now. Anybody go shopping this week? Our lives are busy, aren't they? Anybody go shopping? Okay. Anybody have appointments this week? Raise your hand. I know some of you did. Anybody make supper, breakfast, lunch, and you had to go here, you had to go there. Maybe you served at church and it's just on and on and on and on. And we are busy people. We are busy people, like all the time. It's just like one thing right after another. And I love church because we can just come and sit and be in the presence of God and worship. And like maybe we're thinking about what we have to do, but we're here for a short period of time and we can just relax and say, okay, God, here I am. 
What do you want from me for my life? And, and just to grow and to learn and be with other believers. Let's, let's read in, in God's word about the communion uh, ceremony or the, the passages that we'll read about communion. This is what Jesus said to the disciples in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, sorry, 23. For I have received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night at which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup and after supper saying, the cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he come. What I'd like everybody to do is just to take a minute and say, okay, yes, I'm a busy person. Yes, there's so many things going on. But can we just take a minute and remember what Christ did for us? The bread from the God's word, we know the bread and the cup are just symbols of the, of the broken body and the blood that Jesus shed on the cross for us. They're symbols that we used to remember. The very night that Jesus, uh, before his crucifixion, he met with the disciples, met with the people he served with, with the people that he loved. And, and out of all the things they talked about, he said, rem- Jesus said, remember the sacrifice that I'm making for you and for the world. Out of all the things he said twice, he said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember me. And as I prepared for this, this very thing tonight, today, those two words stuck out to me. Remember me. Don't forget the sacrifice. And I have to wonder if maybe Jesus or, 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 or God said, I need to put this in God's word because I know specifically this generation where we're at right now is probably going to be one of the busiest generations ever because it, we're... Everything fights for our time, whether it's work or our children or, or anything. We're just, it's constantly fighting for our time. Sorry, don't get old. Your eyes go literally bad. Um, and it just feels like our world is in sensory overload. We always have to be doing something. What's next? What am I going to go to next? Where do I need to go tomorrow? So knowing that I uh, had to speak today a little bit on communion, I kind of made a list of everything that I had to do in the month. This is not a list of everything that I did, but this is a list of my life in the last month, and I should have had it up, ready to go. Sorry. This is the list of my month, and I'm sure some of these you probably did as well. So here we go. Just bear with me. I went to work. I made food. I ate food. I made the bed. I plowed snow. I talked with friends. I did the dishes. I drank coffee, lots of it. Got the mail, played with the dogs, fed the dogs, cleaned up after the dogs, yuck. Brushed snow off the vehicles, shoveled snow, played cards, had family over for supper, did devotions, talked with my wife, put my clothes away, talked to my kids, mopped the floor, rode the snowmobile, got the snowmobile stuck twice, put gas in my truck, went shopping, talked on the phone, watched football, checked the trail cameras for deer, went ice fishing, watched ice fishing videos, watched hunting videos, went to meetings, watched the deer out my window, went to the town office, went to work, sent some text messages, prayed for people, made the bed, served a youth group, took out the trash, cleaned out my truck, uh, went to the dump, moved a generator, went to a graduation, drove a forklift, took my wife on a date, woo-hoo, went to a medical appointment, <laughs> wasted time on my phone, went to the dentist, delivered parts to a job site, played volleyball, took naps, played kickball, went to church, listened to music, and so on and so forth. Can anybody relate to that in your life by chance? Or is it just me? Because that is our lives, isn't it? I mean, that, and that's not even everything. Those are the ones that I could just remember. And I got thinking about that. 
in those passages, and Jesus is just asking us to remember him. And with all those things that are fighting for our time, is it easy to forget the sacrifice that, that Christ did for us on the cross? I think it is. It is so easy sometimes to forget what, he, what he's done. And so maybe that's why that's, that's in there and Jesus said, remember me. Because he knew that we were going to be so busy in our lives. Today, as the cup goes around, the bread is passed around, believer, if you, if you know Jesus Christ, or if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, go ahead and take one of those as the cup and the bread come around and take that as you see fit whenever you're ready. And maybe you're still here and a little bit confused about what communion really is all about. Or maybe you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ yet, and you're still kind of trying to figure it all out. It's okay if you let the communion go by. No worries at all. But as the band plays, just take a moment before you take the cup and the bread and remember the sacrifice of Jesus. And if there's anything in your life that's not quite right or something wrong uh, between you and God, would you just take a minute and examine your heart and say, God, you know, this is something that I've done and I need to just clear it up with you. I need to ask for forgiveness and confess this to you. Make sure your heart is clean with God before you take this and be right with him. And this month, and this, this is what my, uh, my uh, Connect kids, it's, it's youth group kids, we had to set a timer to remember to pray for each other because I'm working with like the 8th and ninth grade boys and you know, their minds are just like scattered beyond belief. Yeah, they're clapping. So what we do is we set a timer to remember to pray for each other. 7 o'clock every night, my alarm goes off to pray. Maybe that's what we need to do to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. He asks us to remember him. Remember the sacrifice in the busyness of lives, of our lives. Please remember the sacrifice of Jesus. We've fallen short. We've wandered far from your ways Forgive us, O oh Lord We've sinned against your name
You won't get off the road to hell without the Savior. He's the only one, and it starts in here. Father, thank you so much for speaking to our hearts today. I pray that we will have heard it, that we will not simply walk out of here and forget all that has been said, all that your Spirit has impressed upon us, but that it will sink deeply into our souls, that we would recognize our need for inner transformation that only the Savior can give. Father, give us the grace and the courage and the strength to walk in the way that you have shown us, to turn away from our sin and toward the grace of Jesus Christ. Give us the strength to do that every day, right now, in this moment, that we would walk with you. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, folks. Have a great week.